Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And uh, speak concerning several points in the story, but uh, to shorten up the passage of Scripture, I would like for you to go down with me to verse 32 of the 10th chapter, which is in the middle of the explanation that Cornelius makes to Peter about his reason for sending for Peter. He's talking about the vision that he had and explaining it to Peter, and the Lord is speaking to Cornelius in verse 32 when he says, Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, Thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commended thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he hath he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Go down to verse 42. This is the ending of Peter's message to the house of Cornelius. He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him giveth all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word. They of the circumcision, that is, those who were Jews, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll conclude our reading at that point. Pause for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you're in our midst. We have felt you as our hearts have been aroused in this worship service. We know that you're near to us. For those who are saved of this group, you're in our hearts. But right now, you're about us, you have surrounded us with your love, you have bound us with your mercy. We praise your name for it, and pray, Lord, that you will speak to this congregation as you spoke to Cornelius. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I want to go back to the beginning of the 10th chapter, just follow with me. I want to bring you up to the point of the scripture, the first thing that we do. 
we find that there was a man by the name of Cornelius who was a proselyte, very likely. That is, he was a Gentile who had been converted to being a Jew. He was a very devout man, very religious, who loved God, who worshipped God. He was the head of a thousand Roman soldiers. That's what the word centurion means. He had led his family well. He had very likely worshipped within his own family. He taught his children to love and to fear God. He even, no doubt, had influenced his band of soldiers toward being faithful to God. He was very benevolent in his giving, and as he went down the street, when he found beggars, he would give to them. He prayed continually. He did all these things, but there was something about him that was disturbing. And he knew something was wrong. He was the type of man that on the surface, I as a preacher would say, I'd love to have a whole congregation full of devout people, well willing to give of their finances, in church all the time, prayed continually. But this man was lost. even though he was so religious. You see, too many times we put the word religious and salvation on the same line, and they don't belong there. There no doubt there's nobody in this congregation this morning with what is religious. It's difficult to go down the street any day, but what you can find people who are religious. That doesn't mean that they're saved. And this was the problem of Cornelius. And deep down in his heart, even though he believed in God above, even though he led his family in worship, even though he prayed continually, he knew something was wrong. And he asked God to reveal that problem or the solution to his problem. He prayed continually about it. He probably had heard of Jesus who had died on the cross. We're not told, though we don't know, but he might have even been there at the time of the crucifixion. And he prayed. God answered his prayer in a vision in the middle of the afternoon. And he said to Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Listen, if you want to be saved, God will hear you pray for it. That's all it takes on your part. Is a desire, a willingness 
of God to take control. For it is God who sent Jesus into the world to bring about salvation. And it's not what I do nor what you do that brings salvation into one's soul, but it's what God did on the cross of Calvary that brings salvation. You want to be saved? Ask God to save you and He will be faithful to His Word. He may do it in a surprising way. And to Cornelius, he didn't say, Now Cornelius, I'm going to tell you how it is. This is the way. He didn't do that. He said, Cornelius, there is a man by the name of Peter in a little town by the name of Joppa on the Mediterranean Sea, just a few miles away, about a day's travel. You go send for him. Have him come to your house and he'll tell you. You know, the scripture tells us that God had decided that it was through the foolishness of preaching that people would be saved. Not meaning that preaching is foolish, but meaning that it's a very simple thing. How shall they believe of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach unless he be sent? You remember the scripture? All designed to fulfill the purpose of the church. When Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And as he stood on that mountain just before he ascended back to heaven, he said to his church, Go ye therefore into the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. We sometimes as a church think that we've been forsaken, but let me tell you, we're not forsaken. Not at all. God hasn't moved. God hasn't changed His promise. God hasn't been slack in His desire to be with us and always present. There's a little story that illustrates it, I think, quite well. Of a husband and wife who are traveling down the road, and maybe I've told you this story before, probably have. He was driving and she was sitting over on her side against the door and she was complaining. She said, we're not close like we used to be. She said, do you remember when we were dating and when we were newly wed that, that I sat over close to you and snuggled up to you as we drove down the road? We don't do that anymore. We've gotten farther apart. And her husband said, I didn't move. We start complaining that God is not in the church like He used to be. That His Spirit isn't present like it ought to be. And I can hear God saying, I didn't move. 
I'm still here. It is we, his followers, his children, who have by some influence of Satan parted from him and gone our separate ways and don't feel the, the nearness of his spirit. But God is still here. And God is still in the saving business. And God has still instructed us as a church to be his, his voice. His message in the world is to come through the church to proclaim the gospel. And so God says to Cornelius, go get the man, Peter. Send for him and he'll come and tell you what ought to happen. Well, Peter doesn't know anything about any of this. It's lunchtime, 12 o'clock noon in Joppa. And Peter's hungry. His stomach is growling with the lady with whom he was staying, with a, a, the husband's name. His name was Simon as well. He was a tanner. He was engaged in the most uh, stinking business there was, and that is of the treating of hives. And so he was out on the edge of town where his business was and his house, and, and uh, Peter was staying with him. Since lunch wasn't quite ready, he went up to the flat roof on the house, and the sun was beating down, and he fell into a nap. He thought. God began to speak to him. God did a strange thing with Peter. Peter didn't know what it was all about. God let down a huge white sheet out of heaven. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals. There were the domesticated animals. There were wild animals. There were insects and there were birds of every kind and description. And God said to Peter, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Peter looked on that sheet. Look at all those creepy, crawly things. You think I'm going to eat any of that? And there were some birds. That didn't sound very appetizing. Wild animals. Revolting. And even the domesticated animals, there were some on there that were considered unclean by the law. Back in Leviticus, we have that. And, and the law was that a Jew would not eat an animal that had a, a cloven hoof that did not chew its wood. You had to have a, a clean animal was one who had the split hoof and chewed wood. A cow was fine. A sheep was fine. A, a, a hog was not. It has the cloven hook, but it doesn't chew a cook, and it was considered unclean, a means of, of making a separation between all the peoples of the world and the Jew. He looked on all of that, and he said, No way, no, not so. I have never eaten anything unclean, and I'm not about to start now. You see, I'm literally translating, Well, I would say it had I been Peter. And God said, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. 
Now, let me digress from the message just to make one statement. There are lots of people in today's world who are proposing that we ought to be vegetarians totally and eat nothing else but vegetables. You can't verify that with the scripture. God instructed me eating. As a matter of fact, he said we could eat creepy crawly things. That's a little tough for me to take, but in some places that's a delicacy. I never have eaten grasshoppers, but they say they're pretty good, covered with chocolate and honey. I'm not about to try it. Chocolate covered ants, have you ever eaten any of those? The point that God was making with Peter dealt with Peter's preconceived idea as to who ought and who ought not be saved. Because the Jew thought that the only people worthy of salvation was the Jew. As a matter of fact, that was the first church argument, and we've been having arguments in the church ever since was over whether or not these Gentiles who are supposed being saved ought to be circumcised. Should you become a Jew in order to be a Christian? That was the question. They had a big church council to try to decide if you ought to make a Gentile a Jew before he could become a Christian. And you know we're still doing that today. We're still trying to say you've got to be a member of our church before you can be saved. Now, we don't say that, but there are churches who do. Can you find anywhere in the scripture that God said you've got to belong to a particular body of people in order to be saved? He never even talked about Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Church of Christ and all of these. He talked about one body of believers coming from all segments of society, from all races, from all countries. But Peter, at this point, had not learned that lesson. And he believed that these Gentiles weren't worthy of salvation unless they wanted to convert to being a Jew first, and then possibly they could be saved. And God said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. Because we are learning now that salvation is not what one does. Salvation is what God does. He makes us a part of his body. We can't go hither and yon and say to that group or to that group, you're lost, you're unsaved, you don't know what it's all about. Because you haven't performed some acts that we think the scripture teaches. You haven't learned that lesson yet. <coughs> that it is by faith that you saved, by grace that you saved through faith. And learned that lesson yet. It would seem that these many hundreds of years since Peter had to learn that lesson, that we in this world would have learned that lesson. Well, knock at the door, and people want Peter, and Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house, 
And Peter said that God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. God has shown us that every man, woman, and child is precious in his sight. And there is no exception. So he says to Cornelius, why have you sent for me? Cornelius explains the episode that has taken place in his dream, his vision. And he said, I have called you and have gotten my family together to hear from you what God has commanded you to tell us. Here is an effort of one man sent by God to preach the gospel to another and win him to Christ. That's a missionary effort. You know, we call ourselves a missionary Baptist church. Why do we? Because we believe that we have been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel not just in our own little community. You might not know that the early history of Baptists in England, where we got our start in the 1600s, there was a young man by the name of William Carey who stood up in a convention meeting of the churches and said that he believed that the church, the Baptist church, ought to be interested in saving the heathen in, in some of the foreign countries, such as India and that he wanted to go to be a missionary to that group. And one of the old seasoned preachers in the group stood up and said, Young man, sit down. If God wants to save the heathen in India, he can do it well on his own without our help. The young man did not sit down and convince that group of Baptists that they ought to send him as a missionary, and he went. Paul said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, that all men are to be saved. I perceive that he is the Lord of all, and that in every nation amongst all people, those that fear him and work righteousness are acceptable to him. Now listen, there is a need in this world today for people to be afraid of God. I don't know if you experienced it like I did or not, although I love my father very dearly. Let me tell you, I'm afraid of him yet today. And I believe that I, when he dies, I still will be fearful of him. He represents authority to me and always will. And I want his approval probably more than the approval of any person on earth. Everybody would not view it that way. God is the God of all people. And if you're not afraid of him, the day is going to come when you're going to have your knees knocking like they have never knocked before as you stand before him as the God of the universe sitting in judgment in the person of the Son. But you're acceptable to him. 
receiving. Peter went on and preached. And he finally made one statement that got down to the very bare bones of his message when he said to them in the 43rd verse, Whosoever believeth in him shall receive forgiveness of sin. While he was preaching, something began to happen. The Holy Spirit came down upon that group, on the individuals in it, and began to fill them with the Spirit like he had done on the day of Pentecost with the apostles. <coughs> Gentiles were saved. Same as every person must be saved through a belief in Jesus Christ and a willingness to commit oneself to him. The Holy Spirit can fall upon this congregation this morning in a mighty way upon the lives of some of you who are not saved. Do you want to be saved? If you don't want to be saved, that's your own business. Fine. There's nothing that we, the church, can do about it. But if you want to be saved, the Holy Spirit is available to you to come upon you and give you eternal life in the name of Jesus Christ if you want it. In an invitation, we always ask people to step out of their seat and come down an aisle. And you might wonder, why do that? Isn't that a rather foolish thing? God will save me right in my seat where I am. Yes, he certainly can and he will. He'll give you eternal life right where you sit. But let me tell you, if it means no more to you than that, there's plenty of room to question whether you ever got it or not. Coming down an aisle puts feet on your determination and makes your first public statement your faith. Your first public statement of your faith. The Lord said, if you're ashamed of me on earth, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. It's a statement that I'm no longer ashamed of. I'm ashamed of myself and the way I've lived. And I want to confess my sins and and receive the Lord Jesus into my life and start a new life. That's what it's saying. And you ought to get out of that seat and come down here. There is no such thing as a secret Christian. My book. When there's an opportunity for expression of your faith, it's got to be done. Or there's plenty of reason to question if you ever had it. We're going to sing an invitation here. Come on, Patty. Danny, and you get ready to go. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. And as we sing it, if you're not a Christian, the same thing that happened to Cornelius in his house can happen to you right this morning, if you believe. And get out of your seat if you do believe. Come on down the aisle and by your coming say, I, I want to receive it. Let me extend the invitation further. If you're a member of another church and you want to be a part of this church, we encourage you to come as well. If you are a person who needs to rededicate yourself, you've not been living like you ought and you know it, 
and you'd like to confess that before this congregation and, and get your life straightened out, you come as well. Will you make that decision that is necessary for you in your own life? Lord God, as we now wait before you for the outpouring of your Spirit, those who are faced with decisions today, may this be that hour, that moment, of turning the life around and starting toward heaven. Bless those especially who are not saved. May they be willing on faith to step out of their seat and say, I'm accepting Jesus Christ as my Savior. In His name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.